Hey, thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. It would mean the world to us if you'd follow us on social media at Restoration Church Gardner. Also, if you're in the Gardner area, we'd love to meet you in person at one of our gatherings. You can find out more at restorationgardner.com. They're helping to coordinate, and this is a letter from one of the leaders of, of the city. And it says, Pastor Dave and church family, thank you does not come close. You and your church are amazing. I'm th- I thank God for you guys. And we could not have pulled off the Gardner Glow without all of you. Now, you know, if, if you're a part of that, you know, this is several months ago. And that's, that's investment. That's sowing. That's sowing and sowing and sowing. And then eventually you reap. But we don't, we don't sow in order to reap. We just sow because that's how God is with us. He is so generous with us. And he's given everything to us before we did anything for him. So as a church, we were that example to our family, to our friends, and to our city. It says, I have heard from so many people that the volunteers and the cheerleaders along the path were the best part of the event. Seriously, you are amazing, and I cannot thank you all enough. Please let me know if I can help you with anything. And this came from, um, it's, uh, she's very involved with all of the special events for the city. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you online. Thank you, church family. Thank you for being a church that cares about people that truly cares about what happens, not just on Sunday, but every other day of the week. And um, you're a part of that. You're a part of that. You are a part of that. The way that you relate to people, the way that you open up relationally, and you're not just kind of going through the motions. It's so easy, guys, to play church. And I just never want us to be a church family, a community that is okay with just kind of kind of knowing one another, but like go deep, make the decision. I'm going to just really talk with a few people and I'm going to make, I'm gonna make a decision that I'm going to be, re, I'm going to be relationally open. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like when you walk into a place, like I'm going to be, I'm going to be nice, but I'm not looking to be friends. Here at church, we want you to make the decision to go deep with people. And in fact, this is something that we're high, we are just so committed to this. We have, uh, in my opinion, in my biased opinion, one of the best life group coaches in the world, and that's in Steve and Krista Westerkamp. They just, they just are so great at making p- people feel comfortable. You probably, uh, you probably met them at some point, and you probably walked away thinking, man, this guy just makes me feel important, or this lady makes me feel understood or heard. So I just want to quickly give a, uh, a little bit of a commercial for, listen, God can change your life in these rows. He can do some really significant things, but he will change everything in the circles that you involve yourself with. And I want to encourage you that it is really easy to sit in the rows and to bring it all in and to, and to silently work out all your frustrations and all your fears and all your failures. And I want to encourage you this semester, this year, decide in your heart, I am going to get in a circle. I am going to let myself... I'm going to be vulnerable. I am going to let people know me. I am not going to walk through life alone anymore. And that is what life groups are. And so this, right after service, we're having life group training, a life group leader training. So if you've even thought about it, if you're remotely interested in leading a life group, I want to encourage you to come and participate. It'll be at the ARC that is just across. It's very close to Ground House. Um, hopefully we got an address on there. If not, find me after the service. I'll be happy to give it to you. Uh, you can literally walk there from here. And we provide lunch. So we would love to have you join us. How many of you are excited to be here? I'm excited to see you. If I haven't met you, I want you to know that um, I don't, we, don't take for, we don't take for granted the responsibility that we have, that we're not just a gathering church. 
We're not just a church that's looking to get a bunch of people in a room, but we're a sending church that we believe that God has called you to do very unique and specific things with your life. And so if you're here and you got this feeling when you walk away Sunday morning and you say, oh, I wish there was more, there is. There is more. It's not just about this. This is when we gather and we celebrate, but God is interested in every day of your week, every moment of your life, every facet of the things that you're doing, your fathering, your financials, your, all the things that you're doing, God is very, very interested in it. And so I just want to encourage you to not think of this is it. This is, if, if church is a dead end, then we're doing it wrong. And I want to encourage you, don't let this be the end. Okay, this is just the start. We started this series called Closer because it would, be a tra- it would be a tragedy if you came on a Sunday and you thought that this was it, that, that you thought that just God wants to, to, to like t- just kind of preach at you. But the call of the gospel, the call that we see in Jesus stepping down from heaven into earth is the first is that he knows you, and second, he knows what you're going through, and third, he wants to be near you. I mean, how, how mind-blowing is that for most of our perspectives? We see God as this distant, cold, disinterested dad that not, not, doesn't really care much about what's going on, and it's just not true at all. But we can convince ourselves that God doesn't want to be closer. And we've been talking about this, this last several weeks, the different ways that God is, is drawing us in. He's pulling you close. He's saying, I see you and I know you. And you're like, well, if you see me and you know me, why would you want to be close? That's who God is. He's gracious and he's good. And he's also truthful and he's he's honest. He's not lying to you. He doesn't look over stuff. He calls what he sees, but he's still drawing you in like a good dad or a good mom. And so today I want to, I think there's probably no thing more confused, no conversation, no topic more confused than the call of God. If I were to say, that, did you know that God calls you? That many of you start to think about things like Moses or you start to think about David and, and some random person finding you and anointing you with oil. Or we've got all these, these, these ideas about what call, like what does it mean to be called? And what I want you to know today is that God hasn't just saved you from hell, but for heaven and for works on the earth. Not one or the other, all three. That, that you're not just waiting here for it all to end, but that God has a call on your life to do things that he has uniquely equipped you to do and that we have a responsibility to do those things in life that we don't have to just wait until it all ends, which I'm personally, I would get really bored with that, you know? Like if it's just like I'm just, I'm just hanging out until the end of it, but I'm like, Lord, I want to be called into things that you've called me into. There's a, there's a, a passage in Ephesians and I'm going to read it for you. It's Ephesians 2, 8, 10, and it, and it talks about this, okay? It talks about how God steps into your life, and he saves you. He saves you from hell, and he saves you for heaven, and he also saves you for works that he has planned before he created any of it. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. It's grace, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Now, we've all just kind of experienced Christmas, and the thing with a gift, you don't really do much for it. You don't do anything for it. You just receive it. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. We can all relax. It's not up to you. He's already done all of it. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and he created us anew in Christ Jesus. So 
that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now, last week we talked about abiding and the importance of abiding. And when you abide, it is life-giving. And many of us are struggling in our Christian walk because we're not connected to the Lord. We're connected to a thousand other things that may look like Jesus or may look like God, but they're not producing. They're not producing life. And they've created restriction and legalism and hard-heartedness. And we're just like, this feels impossible because we're connecting to the wrong things. And when you understand what God has done for you and through you, now you can see the things that he wants to do in you. And he's going to do remarkable things in you guys. I'm telling you, we have, we, have, we have taken the gospel and we've made it so small. And we've made it like you're a nice guy and you're a nice girl and you go to church. It's so much bigger than that. He has a heart for you and he has a heart for the world. And his method is people. Isn't that crazy? That God's method is through you and me. That you are the face and visage of the Lord. Like when people see you, like what is your deal? And they don't see you, they see Jesus in you. That's remarkable that God calls us in to this kind of work. God uses people to accomplish his work on the earth. Listen to what Paul prayed. He said, every time I think of you, he's talking about the church at Philippi. I give thanks to God for you. He's praying to God and giving thanks to God for people. Why? Because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue the work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul thanks God for people because he sees people as the impetus, the the, the catalyst for gospel advancement. People's change because, not because of Paul, but because of their life in Jesus. And he says, when I think about you and I pray for you, I thank God for you because you're part of spreading the good news. Now, let's shift because it's like, that sounds great, Dave. That sounds awesome. Maybe for you, but not for me. But I want you to know that God calls you into his work. God calls you into his work. Matthew 9, 9, New Living Translation. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew. And he was just sitting at work, minding his own business, welding, working on big trucks, or in this case, a tax collector. And he says to me, he says to, he says to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. That's what Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and he followed him. Now what I want you to know is that the start of your call is not a, it's not a call to ministry. It's not a call to pastoring. It's not a call to praying over your children every night. The first call of Jesus is follow me. Follow me. Don't learn about me. Don't just understand things about me. Follow me. Get close. See how I do life differently. We went on this trip with some friends recently and uh, we were driving back, and, you know, we had just eaten terrible the whole time, you know. And, uh, you know, like, when you, like what you do when you, you take trips, you're just like all the diets go out the, out the window. You're just drinking whatever. And uh, so we get in the car, and we're, we're going back, and we've got snacks left over. We've just got stuff left over. 
and we had some water left over, we had some chips left over, and a few other little things. So we get to the restaurant. We get to the restaurant, and, uh, we, you know, like a, just a drive-through, and, uh, and just out of habit, sheer habit, I just said, hey, can I get the number whatever? And it was at Arby's. I didn't have like a go-to. I never eat at Arby's. So I just like, just give me whatever. And I got the soda, I got the fries, and I got uh, the sandwich. And then my friends that were with us, they said, just the sandwich. Just a sandwich. And I got in the car, and I was driving home. I didn't say anything to him. I still haven't said anything to him. I'm saying something to him right now. Okay? I'm just telling, just by following them, by being close to them, I saw something that really made an impression on me. And what I saw was stewardship. Because I was just used to, I didn't need a soda. I definitely didn't need fries. But I was just so used to that rhythm that I just did it. But they took the time to think and say, we've already got water. We already have chips. I just need something to eat. And it was a lot less expensive than what I had bought. And just living close to them made a big impact. And I'm telling you that Jesus isn't calling you to get your membership card. He is calling you to follow him first. Everything is built upon this. When you follow Jesus and you see the way that he lives life differently, it impacts you. And you know what? He's not really saying much as much as he's just being who he is. He's just being who he is. My friends didn't say, you know, Dave, you should really think about how you're, you know, being, a fi you know, your, your financial uh, acuity. They didn't say any of that. They just were doing what they did, and it impacted me. That made a difference. Now, I want to take you to a specific example of someone getting their call because many of you, I believe, you've been called, but you didn't even know it. Like God is, he's, he's put things inside you. He's put desires inside your heart. You've got these things that we would call convictions over. Like when you see them, they break your heart or they make you, they make you upset. They, they bother you. And I am convinced that many of us are living with calls that we've never activated. We've just never walked in them. But it doesn't mean that he hasn't called us. We just didn't recognize the call. Now, I want to I first acknowledge something because I think this is where it gets confusing. There is general call or common call to all believers. We are all called to make disciples. We are all called to be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We are all called to those things. But then there are specific things about your heart. There are specific things about your passions that make you uniquely effective at ministry in certain regards. There are things that you can do that no one else can do. Some of you have a gift for encouragement. I know that because I see it on a Sunday. You just naturally have a way to see someone hurting and you go close. Where others would see that and like responsibility, no thank you, I'm going to go to the coffee bar. You're drawn to the hurting, hurting. You're drawn to them. You have a heart for them. So I want to talk about the specific call, how that happens, and what's going on during the process. Acts 9, verses 1 through 3. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Saul, bad guy. So he went to the high priest and he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of the followers of the way, that's what they called Christians early on, that he found there. So he's going to Damascus and he's going with authority from the religious leaders to go and to seek out these followers of the way or Christians 
that he wanted to bring them, both men and women, to Jerusalem in chains. And he was approaching Damascus on this mission, and a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul asked what we would all ask, who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, I don't know about your conversion. I don't know about the moment that you met Jesus. But I will tell you, for me, I was not passive toward Christianity. I became a believer at 17 years of age, and I was angry at believers. It made me mad for them to talk about how good God was and how all of the things that I saw in the world were so broken. It felt mean-spirited. It felt mean-hearted. And so Paul, he's coming, and he's saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things, and he's very zealous. He is passionate, and he's going to accomplish what seemed to him to be the, the good things that God had called him to do. And in the middle of that, Jesus steps in. In the middle of this moment, Jesus steps into his life, and he reveals himself. Guys, this is, again, it's the same thing. It's the same, it's the same principle, just decided in a different way. God's first call is to himself. His call is not to memorizing all of Matthew or all of John or all of, his call is to know me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know about the things that I care about. And why are you persecuting? That's how much God loves you. That whenever someone persecutes you, Jesus takes it personally. He says, why are you persecuting me? That's how connected he is to his body. The same way that we feel about our kids, right? You mess with my kids, you mess with me. That's how Jesus talks about the body, the church. This is why it matters. So... Saul's sin was confronted, and he was called at the same time. This is how God works. This is how God works. He is the surgeon. He knows exactly what we need to hear. So in the same moment that he's confronting, Saul, you're doing this wrong, son. You are persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? And he says, I want you to go because I'll tell you what to do. God gives correction and direction at the same time. When God calls, he says, listen, these are the things that are going on. You've got to turn away from those things because they're going to destroy you. They're eroding your life, and I am going to give you a new path and a new trajectory. When I met Jesus, it was like everything that had been inverted. I was always curious. I was naturally curious, but now I became very curious about the Lord. I had always loved to read. Now I love to read his word. I had always been soft toward people, but in a way that like tried to help them financially. I would do everything I could to help someone financially. And now it's like God had turned all of those things. It's like, it was like it had been redeemed. The natural inclinations had been switched from selfish and self-serving to the Lord and trying to, to help people the way, that, the, way, the way that God had helped me. I want you to know, because we live in a generation, let me, let me say something to you high schoolers and college students. 
We live in a generation that puts a high currency on passion. But you can be passionately wrong. You can be passionately headed in the wrong direction. And it takes humility and wisdom to be able to discern the difference. Because Saul was passionate. He was 110% committed. But he was passionate in the wrong direction. I am asking you to take a moment to truly consider, am I being passionate about the things that really matter or not? Acts 9, verse 7 through, uh, 7 through 9. It says, so Saul went with an entourage, which was not uncommon, right? He was a man of stature. He was regarded in this circle. He was like the real, the up-and-comer. You know, the Harvard, the Harvard graduate, West Point grad, like just the guy had a lot of things going for him. So he went with this group of people. Now, Paul saw something, but they only heard something. Paul heard and saw, they only Heard. They couldn't see the light that knocked Saul from his horse. It says, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they couldn't see anyone. So Saul picked himself off, has picked himself off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. He remained there for he, he remained blind, sorry, for three days and did not eat and did not drink. This is the effect of that his meeting with the Lord had on him, that he, it's like life stopped. He's really assessing things. He's, he's trying to understand things. What I'm saying is that Saul was changed by this interaction with the Lord. And I will tell you, when you meet Jesus, when you meet him, it'll change everything. Everything is touched by him. Everything is changed by him. Saul is going. He's got purpose. He's got authority. He's got resource. He's got people. And he stopped in his tracks. And some of you may feel that same way. You had a plan. You knew what you were doing. You knew where you were going. But something has stopped you. And there's this moment of interaction that the Lord may be stepping into your life at these critical times and saying, slow, slow down. Because, because Saul was going to the city, but he was going differently than he had planned. This is, this is the way that the Lord works. It's not like he makes you a different person. He just redeems all these things about yourself that you've struggled to understand. And you've, why does it bother me so much when I see injustice? Or why does it bother me when I see a foster kid? Why does it bother me when I see an orphan? Why does it bother me? Why does it grieve me when I see someone hurting and no one cares? Why do I have a heart to pray for people that I don't know at all? Because the Lord is doing, he's calling something out of you. And you've, you've seen it as a problem. You've, you've tried to stuff it. You've tried to like, I just, I, I don't like that part of me. God redeems all of these things for the good of people and for the good of your own soul. If you will let him speak into it. If you will just stop long enough 
to let him speak. Now, let's get real. I love this. I love that this is in here because, you know, Saul had a reputation. The guy, the guy had been killing believers. And you don't kill believers and not get a reputation. Now, I don't know how bad things are for you, but I'm pretty sure you haven't been killing any Christians. I hope not, at least. So I just want you to know there is hope. This is what it says. Just to give you some perspective into the, 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 the mind and the heart of the church at that time. It says, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. And he called Ananias. And he says, yes, Lord. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. And when you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. Isn't it interesting that, that Saul's praying to God and God sends a person? Don't underestimate your call. Don't under, underestimate the responsibility and the availability that God gives us to be a part of his kingdom. It says that I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias, that's you, right, coming in and laying hands on him so that he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I have heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. So Ananias is a little hesitant, right? He's a little worried. And what I, I don't want us to miss, this is what I've noticed with calling. Some, there's like two sides of the spectrum. And on this side, we have the believer that says, God told me, I don't care what anybody says, this is what he told me to do. We would call this person the American Idol first round. You know what I'm saying? No one had the audacity or the willingness to say, brother, you can't sing. Like, you just need to sit down. This is that person. No matter what anybody says, I just decided God has called me to be a pastor or a children's director or whatever. On the other side, we have the person that they are so dependent on the body that they reject the voice of God. That there's someone that they won't do anything unless everyone agrees, hey, I think I might have an ability to sing. Hey, Pastor Natalie, what do you think? Like, yeah, I, I think you might. And so they build all of their confidence, all of their trust, and all of their faith, all faith based on how people relate to them. And what I see in Scripture is both. It's not one or the other. That the call comes from the Lord, and it is affirmed by the body around you. There's this overwhelming sense of, I think this is true, Kristen. I think this is true. I think you've got an ability, I think you've got a gift in teaching and leading. I affirm that. I see that in you. There's something, there's something unique. It's God-given. There's a gift. There's a grace on your life. And then the Lord is giving you personal moments and revelation where you just you know that this is what I'm called to do. There's a strength, there's a perseverance, there's an there's an endurance in it that you wouldn't naturally have. It's not one or the other. So what I'm saying is that Jesus used the gifts of one believer to affirm and to lead another believer. This is why we've got to all stay sharp. We, we can't afford for us to get 
dull and blunted and your gift's not operating because it's been so long since you've operated in it because the gift of an encourager is different than the gift of a prophet and someone that's a prophet is going to be not as helpful to someone that's an encourager. So you got to see and understand the gifts around you and then you go and you talk to someone that you respect as uh, someone that has a teaching gift or a preaching gift or a worshiping gift and say, I believe that God's called me to do this. Could you advise me? Could you tell me what are the things that you've done that have helped you to grow in your gift? That's what we see in Ananias. Ananias, is, he's like chilling, hanging out, and God says, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to affirm this guy Saul because he's praying, and I'm going to send you as my ambassador to affirm what he's seeing and what he's sensing. How many Saul's never got there in Ananias? Maybe you're the Saul that was never affirmed. You feel forgotten by God. You feel neglected. That is a real responsibility that we cannot punt on. We don't get to give this to someone else. We need to be sensitive to the Lord. But there's another side to this, and that is that Saul is still dealing with the old life and the old reputation within the church I can't help but to think, Ananias is thinking, you know, maybe we should keep him blind for like another week or so just to make sure he's legit, you know, doesn't, doesn't start stealing our, our wives and, and, uh, and our church leaders. Because after all, he is, he is the Christian killer. Like this is his reputation. And I want to encourage you, church family, that we can often relate to people based on their reputation and not on God's ability to restore God does remarkable things when we get out of the way. And when we trust him to be him and we're committed to following him at great cost to ourselves. Guys, this could have cost Ananias his life, right? This is no joke. This is serious stuff. Because Saul might be thinking, they will never receive me. I wonder how many people never come to restoration because they wonder, would they receive me? If they knew my reputation, if I couldn't hide my reputation, if my reputation preceded me, would they receive me? There's a call for the individual, but there's also a call to the church to never be ashamed of being a hospital for sick people. It's okay. I was too. And still am. He's still growing. He's still doing things in me. Let's not ever forget that. It continues. I love how God works. Acts 9, verses 15 through 19. It says, but the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Listen, let's leave judgment to God. Let's leave vengeance to God. Because he says, listen, I know that it doesn't feel fair. He's going to suffer. I'm going to be with him, but he's going to suffer for, for my name's sake. So let's just leave that to the Lord. So Ananias went. He was obedient, and he found Saul. 
He laid his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from, fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up, and he was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength because he was hungry. He hadn't eaten for three days. So Jesus doesn't just use us to affirm, but he also uses us and other parts of the body to confirm his call and, this is the really important part, bring comfort. Bring comfort. There are things that you have gone through, that you have learned how to endure hard things. You've learned and you've seen God be faithful in the difficult. And part of our, part of this, this, this process of calling is personal and also corporate. And the corporate side is to grieve with them, walk with them, walk side by side, life on life, and say, listen, God has called you. He's chosen you, and I want to bring you some comfort. I'm going to pray for you. And when he prays, God miraculously releases these scales that, are, that have kept him from being able to see, and he also gives them instruction. He teaches them. How much healthier would we be if we just had a few people that would teach us? Guys, I'm a pastor, and I want to tell you, we are the world's worst about assuming. We assume that people know what it means to walk with Jesus, and they don't. And it is our responsibility to help them to walk closer with him. And that means sharing your life and your struggles and your trials and your victories and the things God's done in your life and in your marriage and the things you're still waiting for him to do. It's part of the call. So then Saul stayed, verses 19 to 22, Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is indeed the son of God. You don't need, you don't need to know as much as you think you need to know. You know, when I, think about, when I think about a lot of believers, it's like we have huge heads, lots of knowledge and really, really tiny hearts. You know, like the Grinch, you know what I'm saying? Big heads, but really, really small hearts. One of the things about when God, when God does things in your life is that you don't need to know everything. You just need to know him. And then everything else works from there because your heart is not to be impressive, but your heart is to share what you've learned and what you've experienced with others around you. Paul was a believer of a whopping three days. Was called by God, equipped, and he immediately began preaching and teaching and all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among the Jesus followers in Jerusalem, they ask? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them to chains to the leading priest? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus could not refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. I want to encourage some of you today that you have discredited yourself because of your reputation. You've, you've literally said to yourself, God can do a lot with them, but not with me because I've done all these things. 
You, you wouldn't even let me in this place if you knew my reputation. I want you to know that Jesus used Saul's bad reputation to give credit to the good news of the gospel. That God redeems all of the broken things in our lives. That there is no sin greater than his redemptive power. It doesn't exist. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you did this morning. God's strength and power and grace is bigger. When we allow him and we give it to him and we stop trying to hide it and stuff it and and, and create excuses for why we can't be close to Jesus. I want you to ask yourself, what kind of testimony would you have if you just allowed Jesus to have his way in your life? How much of an impact would that have on your friends and on your family? Because I can tell you, as an 11th grader, when I just decided, I am, Lord, I'm going all in with you, I don't even understand all of it, but I'm just deciding that I'm going to commit my life to you. Most people didn't understand it, but the difference was marked. It was obvious I want to ask you today, in closing, what is Jesus calling you to do? What is Jesus calling you to do? If you, if you, weren't, if you weren't concerned about what people would think about you or what, what, would it, what would the implications be, what is Jesus calling you to do? And the second, and I really, I, I, I sincerely feel this is a lot of us in the room. What call have you disqualified yourself from? God's, he, there's, there was a moment and God spoke to you and you knew that it was him. But because circumstances, because of life decisions, you have disqualified yourself from the call that he gave you. I want you to know that God can redeem even what seems to be dead. And that we are a church that's committed to releasing ministry, releasing gifts, not just on Sunday, but all the other days of the week. But the call first comes from the Lord. And then you share that with other people. And some of you just stop sharing because you're embarrassed or you feel like the time has come and gone. And I believe with all of my heart that many of you have dreams and callings that God has put in your life and in your heart that you have said no to, but God hasn't. And I wanna encourage you today to just just take some time and say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Hey, thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. It would mean the world to us if you'd follow us on social media at Restoration Church Gardner. Also, if you're in the Gardner area, we'd love to meet you in person at one of our gatherings. You can find out more at restorationgardener.com.